Welcome back to the Finding Strength Podcast. I'm excited yet again for another amazing episode sponsored by our friends over at Tenny's Pizza. Did you know that the original pizza comes with up to 12 toppings absolutely free? 12-inch pizza, 5 bucks. 14-inch pizza, 9 bucks. As many toppings as you want. Incredible. Super awesome deal. They also have the Beast, 25 bucks. That thing is 26 inches wide. Get it with pepperoni. And if you want to add extra toppings, you can do that as well. 25 bucks for a one-topping 26-inch Monster Beast pizza. We get one of those... Um, at our parties and stuff like that, kids freaking love, love, love it. This time of year, when you're doing the football thing or whatever, you can order up a pizza, have it there for the big game or whatever you need. Um, as well, they have cheese bread, Parmesan bread, cinnamon bread, buffalo wings. They got the tookie. They got the Oreo pizza, which my kids are obsessed with. You guys, Tenny's has you covered. They keep you healthy if you need it. They got that skinny crust. They got that gluten-free crust for those of you out there who are uh, gluten intolerant. And they have the deliciousness on order. So be sure to check out the Tenny's Pizza app. Use the code PODCAST. And you can get a gourmet pizza for the price of a regular. So that's like three bucks off, which is a pretty freaking rad deal. Thank you, Tenny's, for always hooking us up and keeping us sponsored every week. We can't thank Tenny's enough for the ongoing love and support that we get from them. This week's episode is with Lieutenant Colonel Chris Johnson. It's edgier than we normally do, I think is kind of a good word, meaning we're talking about a topic that is not has not been talked about on our podcast yet and one that needed to be addressed It pushes the limit a little bit, I think, on thinking. There's some stuff that we go into that uh, is outside the box and the way that people sometimes think. It's progressive. And sometimes for people that's hard to wrap their heads around. So open your minds, people. Just remember, I mean, this is me. This is Bethany. This is the way we think. This is the way that we want the world to hear us. And uh, Chris Johnson talks all about what his life was like growing up in the Mormon church, LDS church, and coming out as gay to his family after he had already been married and he had two children and then has a third. You get to hear all about that. It is a fascinating episode uh, with some heartbreaking stories that are told. Chris's life is nothing short of miraculous. He's done some amazing things. He was in the Air Force. He's just got all sorts of wonderful, wonderful stories for you guys to hear. So I'm really excited for you to hear it. So enjoy this episode of the Finding Strength podcast.
Welcome back to the Finding Strength podcast. I am Bethany Tenney. And oh, you want yeah, you have to, yeah. me too? I should have been like, a I'm here ding, too. Ding, ding. I'm here too. <laughs> this is Matt. I'm here too. We're so excited. Oh, yes. man. This episode is going to be epic. I'm really excited, guys. Um, I'm going to start off by telling Matt thank you for last week's episode. You did awesome. And I appreciate you pulling it off without me because I was not in a good place last week. And so I was like, peace out. I'm not doing anything. It was <laughs> totally fine. It actually worked out really well. But it well. was awesome. We yeah. listened to it actually on Thursday and it was it was really cool. Did like our kids any, listened to it. Did you have any people like reach out to you and stuff like that? And Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It was a crazy week. I'm the worst at social media. You know this. So it would take me like days to answer people and my texts weren't much better. I was like, uh, I'm working on this. <laughs> it's definitely not my thing, but it's good because I feel like there's so many more people that you can stay in contact with and can For reach sure. you. And so oh, it's yeah. awesome. I just, I'm a little slow at it. Well, that's your prerogative. I mean, you get it. <laughs> I, I mean, confession, I hate social media. It's not even like a love-hate relationship. It's mostly just hate. It's like annoying. Yeah, see, it, it, I agree and I don't. So I used to hate it completely. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. This is the worst thing ever. Like, I totally rebelled against it because I hated it so much. Um, because there's so much negativity on it. It's very divisive. Yeah, and I hate yeah. that. And so I just... Uh, but I've decided when... You people put out. There's so much good too. Like I've learned a lot and I've seen it's a true. lot and I've. It's opened my mind to a lot of things, and so I can see the good in it. Yeah, for me, I think the reason I hate social media is I hate doing social media. Oh, I it's, it's, a, it's like a job. It. Oh, it's. <laughs> Damn nightmare. That's why, we, that's why we make your wife do it. It's horrible. It's, it's her so part-time job. Work. Like these people who are advertising through social media. It's a lot of work. Like um, Robbie, our common uh, friend here. He, he's so good at social media, man. That guy kills social media. Anyways, okay, we've ignored Chris long enough. No, no, no. no. <laughs> this is kind of how we do it. We always like, ignore him. His CrossFit cross kick um, classes. She's always on Instagram with little video clips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and posting like yep. different. I mean, I'm just a worker on movements. Facebook reading anti-Trump propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that stuff can be fun too. <laughs> I found my tribes. <laughs> <laughs> the anti-Trump tribe. <laughs> Make America hate again. Is that your thing? Exactly. <laughs> well, this is, we are here with, uh, you guys all remember the Robbie Law episode. Chris is Robbie's father-in-law. And Robbie's a good friend of ours. And I was talking to Robbie a while ago. And actually, Annie, your daughter, mm-hmm. made a really awesome post on social media, oddly enough. And we read on Robbie's it. birthday. Was it for Robbie's birthday? No, it wasn't no, that. Oh, before that. Uh, it, a, that a, post was awesome. A play that they went to. Yeah, and 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 I remember reading it, and Brindy read it, and she was like, you should get Annie. And I was like, that's a great idea. And we just kind of like morphed into like somehow we've got, I mean, I heard your story, told Bethany about your story, and I was like, this guy has to tell a story to the world. <laughs> and so we kind of pushed, and We've talked over the phone now, and you're here, and that's why I'm excited. Because there's been a lot of build-up to this. No pressure, Chris. <laughs> I'm bit. just kidding. And I only know bits and pieces. Like, even okay. we hung out with Annie Saturday night, just a couple days ago. Uh-huh. And I told her, I'm like, don't tell me too much. I don't want to know too much. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want to ask, and if you tell me, then I'll know what to ask. And then it's like, 
Awkward. So yeah. she was talking to my husband Kevin a lot, but I didn't. Okay, I'm ask. gonna get ganged up on. No, har- <laughs> hardly, man. This is like a get the word out type podcast today for sure. So let's. I mean, you're the you're better at asking like the get to know you questions. Oh, just anyway. I just like to know where you came from. Like, where did it begin? Where were you born? What did you where did you come from? You, you know? know, I I I grew up with a very vanilla Utah County life. Okay, I was born in Provo. Pretty much raised in Orem, went to Orem High School, graduated in 1972, um, went to BYU for a year, then I went to uh, to Japan for a couple years for my Mormon mission, came back uh, and uh, graduated from BYU in 78 and uh, married Annie's mom in uh, the June of 78, and then I spent my career in the Air Force traveling in different places around the world finally retiring at uh, Hill Air Force Base in, in the 90s. So what did you get your degree in at BYU? Construction technology. Oh. Seriously. That's, no, I didn't, I, really, I didn't, I didn't really get an opportunity to use that degree I was in say, the Air I Force. I never know. No. There's so many degrees. I never know, like, what is out there. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, you know, the only time I've actually used that degree um, is uh, building cabinetry and furniture. For my own home, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of handy at that in that respect. I, you know, I've done the wiring in our home, tiling. I've learned art glass. That's awesome. So, if if that's all you got out of it, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's turned out to be kind of a, a hobby more than anything. But yeah, when when we built our home, um, we built all the cabinets for it, did all the tile work, electrical. So that's kind of why I did my degree. And while I was on on active duty, I also spent a year and a half at uh, the Air Force Institute of Technology at Wright Pat Air Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Got my degree, a master's degree in uh, acquisition logistics. And uh, then spent some time working on missile projects. I was on the Air Force inspection team. That's awesome. But most of my career, I actually was flying. Uh, my first, my first assignment after training was, uh, I flew F four backseater, which kind of dates me. They now use F fours as drones. They fly them up uh, without a pilot, and they blow them out of the sky with missiles to test their missiles. These are the same planes that I was flying. So, in. is that something that you had like, like, I don't know, to go into the, to go from that degree into the Air Force? Did they? go hand in hand or was it just no, something you got in the air force no. and you're like oh this I is th- what i want to do i think anymore maybe the air force uh, uh, is trying to get you uh, to have a degree that's going to relate to something you're doing in the air force but back at the time um, all they wanted was a master's degree there oh. were people who had a master or a, not a master's degree a bachelor's degree in uh, foreign languages or in the arts who were turning around and becoming fighter pilots, pilots. yes exactly so, because um, they so did they do all the training then? So that way, exactly, you don't need to have yeah, that before. Yes, yeah. so I spent uh, I spent well over a year in training before I got my first assignment uh, in Germany, where Annie was born in 1980. Germany, I okay, didn't know that. Yeah. Annie born in Germany. Yeah, I didn't know she was born in Germany. Yeah. Now I'm you have that. you. So yeah, I know you, Annie, and you yeah. have two more girls, right? Uh-huh. Yep. So when is Annie the oldest? Annie's the oldest. That's correct. Okay. So my first assignment in Germany was curtailed. It was supposed to have been a three-year assignment, but uh, the time they were converting from these uh, F-4s to single-seat fighters, F-16s, and uh, so I transitioned from fighters to a C-130 uh, turboprop aircraft 
and spent most of my flying career at uh, McCord Air Force Base in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Uh, and that's where the other two daughters were born, Heather and Hillary. And They're all three years apart. How long did you live in Washington? Um, six years. Six years. So you grew up, what, how many, do you have siblings? I have five siblings. Five siblings. So you had a family of six. Six, uh uh-huh. Growing up in Provo, Utah. Orem, yes, but... Provo, Orem. I'm from Orem-ish. I moved here when I was 12, but that's where I've grown up, I call it. Um, So LDS family? No, not really, no. Um, My dad was In Orem, I am a little shocked. Yeah, yeah. Um, My dad was never LDS. My mom had been... um, uh, LDS as a kid, but she wasn't active. She was never active while I was growing up. And and in terms of uh, my siblings or myself, it just happened to be what friends you hung out with in the neighborhood, whether they happened to be active Mormon or, or not. And in my case, most all of my friends were, and so I kind of uh, followed that path. You know, as a kid, you don't question. I mean, and, and growing up in Orem, there's really, there's really no... Nothing to decide on. It's already well, been de- there's no other options. For you. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's and Mormon. So, I, I mean, I didn't apply for uh, any um, university other than BYU because that's just that's where that's you went. You did. Yeah. So it was more of a, I mean, an, I, I can totally see how that's like a natural, that's what my friends are doing. Everyone's going here. Everyone's going on missions. Yeah, yep. let's do this. Exactly. It's a good thing. And, and you know, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't question anything. I just, did what I thought was expected of me because that's what you do when you grow up in Orem in the 70s. Were any of your siblings, did they end up getting baptized or becoming LDS or anything? Um, I think that, and I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think all of us were baptized. My mom would drag us to the church when we turned eight to get our little bishop's interview. <laughs> and then we'd get baptized in whether anything happened after that it was just again it was just like okay these are the friends i'm hanging with and they go to church so i'll go to church and i think i was actually the most um active um child in my family growing up i have one one sister that uh, uh became active later in life and went on a mission i think to texas but other than that you know and a couple of them have gotten married in the temple i'm not sure how any of many of them are uh, active at this point we, we just weren't it was not a, it was never a, a forced issue in our in our home do you keep in contact with your siblings now that you're older um you know i'm having issues with them right now because they all voted for trump you know what two things you don't talk about in families religion and, and politics, and politics. <laughs> exactly well you know with again with social media Yep, you see it all. You know, and it it, it really polarizes people. And um, my thinking right now, of course, we don't maybe we don't want to go into politics, but you can do whatever you want. Um, politics, bring it up. I feel like that anyone that supported him or continues to support him, he's a mirror of who they are, and he's such a despicable human being that I can't I can't divorce the fact that he's like that. And they aren't, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, so what parts of his personality are reflected from you? Yeah. It's like, and it, so it, it really eats me a lot. It's hard. It's and that's one of those things with party politics that we run into, where the constant phrase that you hear is "lesser of two evils." 
Mm-hmm. Right? And you're and you're forced to pick between two, and then you're siding supposedly with someone who's part of your party, but is as you so eloquently put it, a despicable human being. And that's looked, I mean, like brushed aside because Morals aside, we're talking about politics here, right? It's just business. There's so many cliches that really polarize and continue to polarize people and families and things like that. And that's, I think it's just kind of a sad commentary. So, yeah, uh, I feel your pain, man. But e- even before all of that, I think that as siblings grow older, they, just, they have their own children, they have their own grandchildren. Yeah. And so you don't uh, really have a, as much of an interaction with them as, as, as you get older, which is interesting because my three daughters, they're not like that at all. The, the, we, 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 we have such an amazing dynamic in our family that the daughters, all, they just all relate to each other. We, we all, we, there's no drama. We just have such a great time when we're all together. It, it's, so, it's so amazing to see and That's experience. Awesome. Why do you think that is? Because I, I agree with you. Like I've, I've talked to Annie... A few different times, and mm-hmm. I know she's close to her sisters. Super tight, yeah. yeah. You know, and that's, that's not a, I don't want to say natural, but I've noticed the same thing in my family and my in-laws. We still love each other, and we still get along, but we do. We have started to drift because our kids are getting older, and we're so busy. And so I just wonder, like, where you think that might come from? You know, I don't know. Maybe that happens as, the, as their own children get older, because they all do have various diverse interests, but when it comes time to getting together, it's just it just flows like butter. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Now, but you and your wife are divorced now. Yes. So, do you all get together? Like, I know there are a lot of families that a husband and wife there will we, get together even though they're divorced. You know, it's amazing. She's been a very supportive person, even though I came out to her in 1986, 85. Um, there were rough times, but we're we're good friends. She's on my speed dial. Um, up until um, a few years ago, when she moved to Maryland, she was she was here locally as well. She taught uh, elementary school in Springville, and uh, when when she and her husband come out from Maryland, the family portrait includes all of us, including she and her husband. That's amazing. So, so yeah, it's it's been really good, you know. And and I have to say that there are, I have friends who's who's now ex spouses. They didn't get the same experience. Mm. They they just dragged them through the the mud to extract everything they can out of their their husbands for having basically deceived them. Mm. That's how they look at it. You they know? feel like it was a betrayal. Exactly, and and I can't blame them because. Right. Uh, but there's a lot more than just well I betrayed you and 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 it's all my fault you know and and so and we can get into that. Yeah, um, I I'm super interested in this. Um, because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it like that. But it's not my life. It's not my story. It's not my situation. Mm-hmm. But I can see how that, that can be taken that way. So you talk about how you came out to your wife. Mm-hmm. How, did that, how did that go down? How did you finally decide she needs to know this? You know, again, growing up in Orem in the 70s and not really knowing the world, I didn't know that um, this was going to be an issue that I had to face at some point. And I, I was just towing the line that was expected of me. Did you know you were gay when you were younger? I know that's probably a you know common what? question. I, I feel but... like I had same-sex attraction from probably around the age of five. Hmm. 
didn't know what it was, didn't know it was different than anybody. I, yeah, I knew it was different, but I didn't know what it was. And I was ashamed of it, too. Of course. Like, how can a five-year-old be ashamed of those things? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, when I was at BYU, I, I went to counseling. And, uh, and of course, at BYU at the time, and, and, and it's been actually something that they, they've just kind of now dis- lately disavowed, is that, well, if you get married, it'll go away. And that was the advice that that I took. It was interesting because I was in these group therapy sessions at BYU, and uh, I would show up in my ROTC uniform and be expected to talk about my personal issues. You know, and as far as I was concerned, I was so closeted, I was so petrified about that aspect of my life that there's no way I'm going to talk about that in a group situation because I don't know what those other kids are there for. Yeah. And I'm certainly not going to do it in my ROTC uniform. You know, I'm on, I'm on an Air Force scholarship. And and you're at BYU. I, I'm at BYU. And so... That's um, very... Double whammy, yeah. Not right? okay. Because was Don't Ask, Don't Tell around... No, no, no. That, that, that's, that's, that's much, much later, much but later. Still, it wasn't something that you... It was even worse then. It was way worse then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But... Um, Um, when 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 I was getting ready to graduate from BYU, I thought, "Dang, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to find um, a girl here at BYU to marry because once I leave Utah, I'm never gonna find another Mormon girl." I mean, again, you don't know what the world's like out there. Mm-hmm. I never yeah. questioned anything. So um, um, she and I met at the University Mall. Actually, we were both working at a store there, and. Uh, she was actually just 18 at the time, and uh, her mother uh, was kind of upset that she had just been, she was just a freshman, and here she was getting engaged to me, but um, we, uh, we got married in uh, the Salt Lake Temple in June of 1978, actually the day that the, the church, uh, that God changed his mind about black people. Really? That's, <laughs> that's hey, you'll never forget that day then. Exactly. Wow. And you know things were going just fine. Um, we uh, we moved to Germany. Annie was born. We get to Washington, and I think things were just. I was getting so depressed that I I just felt like I couldn't function anymore because I was like I really need to resolve this issue, but I can't. I can't. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. And to this day, I'll tell you that I do. I absolutely. Um, will say that I didn't marry with any intent to deceive her. Mm-hmm. I will say that I deceived myself to thinking I could be somebody that I wasn't. And so um, after Heather was born in 83, you know, we, we, we were doing okay, and, but I, she could tell that something was wrong. She was just, because I, I would just cry, and I couldn't tell her. I, I didn't know what to do, because I, I, how, how is she going to respond? I don't know. And things came to a head in 1985, and one of the first, <laughs> this, is a, this is a story that's going to come back quite a, a bit later in time, but in 1985, I, th- I thought, whatever I do, I can't add any more children to this. This is just, I've already messed up my life, her life, and I've got kids now. I'm not sure how I'm going to resolve this, but we can't add any more kids to the mix. So in November of 85... Um, I had a vasectomy so that this wouldn't be an issue anymore. And uh, it was just shortly, probably about that same time that I that I 
told her I was gay. And she was actually relieved that it wasn't another woman. So she felt that something was going... She knew something She was... knew that something was wrong. And, and, and fi- I, I kind of confided in her. And, uh, and at that point, it was uh, it's like, okay, what are we going to do with our lives at this point? How are we going to figure out our future? And um, a few months... A few months after I had told her this, she was saying, you know, my breasts hurt. I feel like I'm pregnant. And I'm thinking, well... Um, well, she I, didn't know. No, she hadn't. She knew I had a vasectomy. Oh, okay. I was going to so, say, oh my and, and gosh. I, I, to this day, I still have the lab slip that shows that, hey, I'm, you're, you're, you're good, good to go. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was telling my doctor that that she was feeling like she was pregnant. She needed to... And she, she got a... Uh, um, pregnancy test from him and she came back she was pregnant and so um, I called up the urologist who performed the procedure she was a urologist at the Naval Medical Center in uh, Bremerton, Washington and she just happened to have a uh, an appointment for the very next day so I went up there and and uh, had to do the sample thing <laughs> and she says your 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 sperm count is uh, Fifty uh, percent of normal, and I go. How did this happen? I mean, two months ago, I was sterile. Yeah. And she says, "There's a something called recanalization, and this happened to you, and you're my first failure." And so, um, this really made things even a little bit more difficult because now we've just we've just added another child to this mix, and things are just uh, what are what are we going to do here? And uh, we we we. We really didn't contemplate abortion. We just couldn't. We couldn't bring ourselves to that. And so, um, Hillary was born in November of '86, and uh, the same time, uh, my my ex wife, her name is Dory. Um, her mother was uh, having issues with uh, cancer here in Utah. We were still living in Washington, and and in retrospect, Dory should have just moved back down here and been with her mother because she was the only child at that point. She didn't have a spouse, and and Dory could have and much more of a support for her mother had we just thought, you know what, you really need to go down there and, and be with her. And um, we stayed together. Um, we went to uh, Ohio for the master's program. And then at the end of that, um, Dory moved back to uh, Orem uh, into her mom's home. Her mom had passed by then. And uh, that was when we finally called it quits and I got a divorce in 1990 and I, I I I was able to afford at that point because her, her her mom's home had been free and clear so there was no housing expenses there and I was able to get my own place and we weren't struggling for for how we were going to make ends meet in that respect and she got her teaching degree started teaching school and uh Kids all they all grew up in Orem. About the time that um, we were building our home in uh, Ogden, she had uh, she had married a guy that was uh, uh, he was he was a big fraud. He, he had defrauded people out of millions of dollars, and, and one of the things he did before he was sent to prison was use her home as a uh, a line of equity. Yeah. Um, for some of his bad dealings, and she lost her home. 
And so, well, we thought, well, we're, the kids are going to have to come up and live with us because she's essentially homeless. Mm. And they said, well, we don't want to move, move from Warm. All our friends are down here. And we built this big house with plenty of room for them all. And so uh, my partner, his name's David, um, we bought a home down here in Orem for them to live in. And that's where the kids were living when, when they all went to high school. Growing up. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So my question kind of goes back in time a little bit. What was it like having to fight back all these things that were ve- these feelings, these this thing you knew about yourself to shove that down day in and day out. It was it was it was so difficult. Um, just the the very fact that you're being dishonest with yourself is is, is just so um, crushing to the soul. You know, and, and and particularly because you you you've now added uh, other people to the mix, you know, and it's like now what am I going to do? What have I done? It, it was it was so painful. So, so you, my thought, sorry, go going on, kind of along with that, I've always wondered. So, my little brother is gay, okay, and so we have a lot of this similar conversations. I mean, he's was younger when he came out, and so he's his he's always had a male partner and not had the same scenario, but he's talked about multiple friends of his who have married women and then, and tried and like, because of their religious beliefs, because of the culture, just tried really hard to try to live this life Mm -hmm. that they felt like they were supposed to live. And he just said, he's never had someone where that's worked out. Mm -hmm. It's always, and I just, how, I guess, and I'm not sure how to put this. How, how do you get yourself to be okay being with a woman? Because everything in you feels like this is wrong. I always think of myself um, being with, if someone told me I had to be with the same sex, you know, where it's I'm heterosexual. It, that's just, how do you do, how can you do that? Where is it more of like a friendship where you love her as a friend with the, you know, where the actual attraction and the intimacy is more just like, it's not, it's not there. You, you know, um, that's a difficult question. <laughs> Sorry. It's a good question. Then, it is. But when you're 20, your hormones are really coursing through you, you yeah. know? And, and for me, it's interesting because while I cannot even imagine being with a woman at this point in my life, I did okay. You know, sure. I, I, it wasn't like I was, having to force myself or think of something in my mind that would get me to where I needed to be, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Well, and that, that's an important distinction it. because that's, that's, that's a realization for a lot of people out there that like, it's not I'm gay or straight. There's a reason why it's LGBTQIA+, right? Like right. The, this whole in group grouping that we've decided to create is so small when really gender is this fluid or... A, or sexuality is this fluid process for people. And this is something that we're learning more and more about. And it's kind of a newer concept, but it's not so black and white as we once thought it was. And so it makes sense that for you, it wasn't, I have to force this on myself. It was uncomfortable and somewhat doable. It's kind of what I heard you say. Um, or more or less or describe it. Less, less uncomfortable 
I mean, as as a as a young twenty year old, you're making out mm. and things Sounds hormones good. are coursing. Yeah, I was gonna say hormones like, are okay, raging, so you're you know, why who am I to say, well, this can't be right because I, I'm I'm attracted to men for the most part, mm. but I'm not gonna do anything with men because I was raised not to. Mm. Yes. And so it it was never an issue for me. I didn't have to think about guys. It just it just worked. So um, at what point were you saying, "Hush, I love you, but I am more attracted that to was, you, man"? That was it, it was a it was a it was a gradual process, a process that I was like, "Okay, I I'm just desperately unhappy and getting unhappier because I'm deceiving myself into thinking that I'm somebody I'm not," and that just came to a head in in 1985. That's actually, I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that because um, I think that's a question a lot of people have because when, you know, when you grow up and you fit the cultural mold, it's it's like, what? I don't understand. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. So yeah. sometimes it's nice to hear that other side so it can we can understand each other better. Yeah. You know, uh, to this day, I still harbor a tremendous amount of anger toward the church for... Um, lead me down a path that I was not meant to go down. For forcing you to fight against yourself for exactly. so many years. Yep. That's a, so that's a hard thing. When you mentioned earlier about politics and some of your anger, I think um, sometimes I can see that side with religion because, because of my brother. I mean, we're best friends. I mm-hmm. adore him. And it's so it's it's so hard for me sometimes with family because I'm like, how can you support something that doesn't support this person that I love so much? But as with Paul, like there's always two sides and I'm trying to understand all of it. So that way, because getting angry, getting frustrated has not helped anything. And so I'm trying to understand their side, but also get across mm-hmm. why I feel the way I do about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, w- one of the things that just happened... Over the last two weeks is this, I, I just looked up his name, is David Matheson. I don't know if you heard about this. David Matheson, he was like a prominent um, conversion therapist. Yes. And he basically was this major voice in the world of conversion therapy. And he just recently came out and said, you know, this doesn't work. I'm gay. And is now living the homosexual lifestyle as mm-hmm. it's so been dubbed. So conversion, explain, because you and I have talked about this a ton, and I've listened to podcasts. Explain for some people conversion therapy just a little bit. Do you, do you have experience with conversion therapy? Absolutely not. I no. wouldn't go there. No. Um, I'm not not you personally, but do you know what it is? Like, oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I, just, I just think that I, I can honestly say I didn't know what it was. Oh, yeah. And so I just wonder if some people are like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I can explain you know? if you want. Basically, conversion therapy is... Um, it. it once began, so there's kind of varying levels of it, but basically you go to therapy and it uses a lot of the 12-step model, like a 12-step AA model that I would use in my therapy practice for addiction. And they use that kind of 12-step model to basically un-gay people. And it's extremely controversial. Um, it's, in my opinion, wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's created tens of thousands of people's suicides in, in reality. Absolutely, I mean, yes. It's, it's, it's this fallacy. And it, it, there's a, a, a recent podcast that came out, I can't remember the name of, but I had you guys listen it's to the one I listened it. to. It's so fascinating just to kind of learn about the history of it. And even like one of the most prominent 
um, conversion therapist, like the guy who started it all, he went through, did conversion therapy, became a conversion therapist, and then turned back to living the gay lifestyle to well, and he well. became just, apologetic and said, yeah. I'm so sorry I ever did this. That's the one I listened to because mm-hmm. he's like, it. I I am me. You yeah. can't change who I am. And, and this guy that's in the news right now, he's not apologizing for mm. all the damage that he did. You know, uh, I think it's great that he's he's coming to terms with who he is and he's going to go forward living an authentic lifestyle. But he did a lot of damage. Yeah, who knows the untold damage, right? Yeah, who, who knows uh, what sort of um, suicide rate he created created mm-hmm. so with your kids and going through this so they were fairly young then when you divorced and they knew mm-hmm. what was that like you know at the time i was i was already um living on my own and so i'm not sure i i really don't have a, a handle on on what their lives were like in terms of whatever they talked about with their mother or their friends, because I would only see them on the weekends. And so if they had issues, it was not anything that was ever ever discussed, really. Uh, as they got older, they would use, I know that Annie did this, she would use the excuse that I don't want to go spend a weekend with Dad because he's gay, you know. And and, and that, that was very painful, but... Um, I think it wasn't, that was the excuse she used. To be honest, I think it was just because she wanted to hang with her friends mm-hmm. versus her dad. And I don't blame her for that. she's a teenager. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I, uh, um, all of them have been really, for the most part, very, very accepting and very loving. And uh, we've, you know, I, I met my partner, David, uh, about the same time that their mother met her, um, that husband at the time. And, and uh, we've just had a, a great relationship with them from day one. We've just not really had a problem at all. It's interesting. This the, the, the coming back around to this third unexpected daughter. Of course, you know about the Prop Eight in California, two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, we had decided to to go out there because Prop Eight, the, the the polls were just like, okay, what direction is this going to go? Let's 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 go out there before they vote, so that we can get married in California, and. Um, we flew out there. We flew the daughters out there. there and there, whoever was married at the time, I think Annie was married. Um, David's mom and, and her husband came out. One of my brothers and his wife came out. And we rented a big uh, vacation home in Mission Bay above um, SeaWorld and had a three or four-day weekend there. We went down to the San Diego County Courthouse and got married uh, on October tenth, two 2008. And, of course, then Prop 8 was voted for just three or four weeks later and... and um, we know what, how that went. But uh, um, in 2013, December of 2013, that's when Judge Shelby overturned Utah's Amendment 3 that uh, prohibited um, marriage between two people of the same sex. And David and I had just arrived into Dallas to spend Christmas down there with his family. And uh, I was actually on my phone after baggage claim, I go, oh my God, this judge has overturned Amendment 3. This is a huge deal. And here we are, and we're in Texas. Of course, we were already married, so maybe it didn't apply to us as much. But And, and I just assumed that, okay, the state's going to request a stay, and it'll be over and done, and, it'll, and it'll all, we, there won't be anything that we can do about it by the time we get back. Well, things 
it was for 13 days that there's this 13 day window that uh, the gay couples were allowed to get married in Utah. And um, I called up the Weber County clerk's office to ask if we could get a, a marriage license if we had already been married in California. They said, sure, um, people get married in multiple states just because that's they want to do that. I said, okay, great. Um, we, uh, we, we flew back from Dallas a couple days after Christmas, went right to the Weber County Courthouse, got another marriage license. And I, I called uh, my daughter Hillary. She's the youngest one, the one that wasn't planned. And she, she's got one of those uh, online pastor yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. things. So she can marry people, yeah. And so she, she's performed quite a few ceremonies, actually. And I called her up and said, you know, if you can show up to the Salt Lake County Courthouse on Monday, um, there is going to be a boatload of people there wanting to get married and very few people there to do to, to, to the ceremonies for them. So she took a friend. She got up really early on Monday morning. She went to the county courthouse, and she just had a little piece of paper that says non-denominational minister. And she ended up performing a couple ceremonies for gay couples there at the, at the courthouse. And so we let her in on a little secret about, okay, David and I have just got another marriage certificate, and we're hosting a party. We host a party every year on the Saturday between Christmas and New Year's. It's David's birthday. I know. We tried to get your your daughter to come hang out with us, and she's like, we have this big party. She told me it was a really it's, important it's, party. It's a big party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's awesome. And so we had already had this party planned. It was just going to be our little annual David's birthday holiday party thing and uh but with with this turn of events david and i we got home we ended up making a wedding cake because we wanted to celebrate all of these uh, friends uh, marriages who had been taking place over the week and we swore uh, hillary to secrecy and there in the midst of our um annual party we 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 kind of stopped everything and had everybody come into the big gray room we had one of our son-in-laws pouring champagne and uh we 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 get up in front of our fireplace and we we're talking about all the, the couples in the room who've gotten married that week and how Hillary had gone up to the county courthouse and, and had uh, married couples. And then we, we asked her to uh, come perform another one. And so um, we got to, you know, every, all these other couples were m- married in some small dark corner of the courthouse and we had this ready-made party with all of these people who had... Our, our very best friends were there. All the daughters happened to be there this time because a lot of times they can't make it to the parties. Even my ex-wife was there and her husband. And Hillary came up and, and performed a second ceremony for us. This was the girl who wasn't planned. And she mm. turns around. She's your angel. So many years later, she performed a ceremony to marry her gay dad and her, his husband. That is so cool. Beautiful. I know. So right? like cool. <laughs> so cool. It's amazing. So, yeah. Well, the thing that continually amazes me about human beings is our unbridled ability to love each other. And I think the hardest thing of recent years for just for me is that we are placing conditions upon what love looks like for individuals that it needs to look a certain way or sound a certain way. And I think there are parameters. And I think 
those parameters exist for a reason. Uh, for example, adults and children, that's not a thing, right? Like, that's, that's not okay. But that's about it. I think love can exist between two human beings. Two consenting adults. Two consenting adults in whatever way, shape, or form they yeah. see fit because that's what's in our hearts. And the thing that we've been told for decades and centuries is that it needs to be packaged appropriately. And if it is not packaged appropriately, then it is not good. And there's judgment and there's shame and there is anger and hate and fear and rage. And all that has done is continually separated us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And as I hear your awesome, amazing, beautiful story where you're able to take all these people and bring them into a room and celebrate the love that you and David have for each other. I mean, what better example of passion, love, and connection is there, you know? And, and people who deny that are, are missing out. People who ignore that are missing out. That's, that's my opinion. And I think what what I want to know and the question I have for you is like, there are people out there who look at you and the way that you live your life and they think it's wrong and they think mm. you're bad. What's it like living with that? What's it like having the shame constantly thrust in your direction? I've been doing it to myself for decades. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. Um, a straight couple isn't going to have any issues with walking down the, the street holding mm -hmm. hands. I can't do that. Uh, I, I still can't do that. I, I think I have some, my own internalized homophobia. You know, I, I, I even use, I just use the term my husband. I can't do that. I just cannot say husband. I'll, I'll refer to him as my partner. partner. Mm -hmm. It just, my husband, it just sounds gay. <laughs> it right? just sounds strange to me. Yeah. And I, and I, I I just feel like um, it's my own internalized shame. But, you know, um, it's getting better. Things are getting better. We're, we're, we're finding that we're, we're accepted far more than we used to be. Um, I, I just don't let anybody's um, issues with me get, get in my way. So, I, th I would say the biggest thing that you said <laughs> is the biggest problem, I guess, is fear. I remember years ago before I knew anything about my brother and um, I was active in the church and um, had certain thoughts and processes because it's what I was taught and I exactly. didn't know any different. Same here. And I remember thinking like, no, we can't, we can't allow this. Like it will change everything. Mm -hmm. If this happens, then what's going to happen to our world? What's going to happen to our children? What's... And I was so scared of, because I'd been taught that this is, you know, this is the end of the world. If this happens, morals, values, families, everything goes out the window. Yeah. And it scared me. And I remember now years later and, you know, being super close to my brother, I absolutely adore his partner. Um... I go stay with them as often as I possibly can. And my kids, like, I mean, I always think I, I wish they would have kids because 
I'm like, you would be the best parents. Mm. Like There's they take care of my kids all the time. They're called gunkles. <laughs> gunkles. <laughs> they do. My, like my brother, when we go out of town a lot, he actually comes into town to watch my kids mm. and they, uh, he is the best parental figure. He's better than me. And so it's just interesting because it's taken away so many of my fears of like, what's to come? It's like, what is to come? Two adults that have children because they want to, because you know, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It takes some serious effort. Mm-hmm. And so it's just changed my thought. Pro- and it's just amazing. It's like if people would just connect with some of these, you know, different groups, different lifestyles, different people, it's amazing how much fear goes away because you're like, oh my gosh, you're really great people. You're re- you love your kids. You love your families. You love more than these other people that I've seen that seem to be living the normal lifestyle, if you want to mm. call it that. And so it's just amazing. I, th- I just think a lot of people, if you would just kind of dig in and start to pay attention and make friends and be a part of these people's lives, mm-hmm. the fear goes away because mm-hmm. you recognize what great people they are. And I think that's why it's very important to, to come out when you feel like you're comfortable doing that because the more people who know you're gay and recognize that, hey, he's just a n- normal guy, the, the more accepting the people will become. See, and I love that too because I think that's, like you said, it took you a long time. And I know there's a lot of people that are listening to this that may be in limbo of mm-hmm. what do I do? Is, you know, if I, like what you thought, well, if I come out, is it going to ruin my wife? Is it going to ruin my family? Are my, I have these kids, what will it do to them? And I feel like you watching your family, it's, you're a great example of how you, because you all love each other, you can make it work, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of the situations. Is it perfect and ideal? I don't know. Is any Parent, marriage, perfect or ideal? No. <laughs> and the idea, too, so I just heard a story of, of this uh, woman who, she'd been in a marriage, Mormon, and uh, she decides to come out to her family, and I can't remember if her husband was accepting her or not, I think he was. Basically, the biggest thing was she went and told her mother, and her mom looks at her, and she says, how could you do this to your children? I know and, exactly what you're talking about. Right? And mm-hmm. the first thing I thought in my head was, do what to her own kids, to her kids? Do what? Be herself, be authentic, be real, be honest. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing. That's the best gift you could ever give your kids is to look exactly. at your kids in the face and say, guess what? You get to be you. All this bullshit that's surrounding you, all this stuff that's being thrown at you day in, day out, you get to look at that and say, doesn't matter what that is. I get to decide what's right for me mm-hmm. because I know what's right for me in my heart. And I get to decide that, not anybody else. Yeah. You know, and I've told my, my three daughters several times that they owe their very lives to the fact that I couldn't allow myself to be authentic. They wouldn't be around. They wouldn't exist if I had gone down the path that I should have gone down or would probably have gone down early on. And they recognize that. You know, it's interesting. You just said something about um, that woman's uh, mother saying, "How could you do this to your kids?" When I had come out to my brother around 1990, and uh, sworn to secrecy, didn't work. He told my mom. Actually, she bugged him because she sent something. She sent something. She says, "Chris Gay, 
well, you need to ask him that. And she kept bugging him until he finally says, yes, he's gay. Well, at the time, they were building a cabin up in uh, the Uinta Mountains, and I was building all the cabinetry for them. And so I had to go up there that next weekend to install them. And I didn't know where where I was, where, what my standing was with her anymore. Because now she knew. I didn't tell her. And so I called her up. I started bawling. And she said five things to me that just killed me. And I mean, she said, why the hell did you get married in the first place? I just feel sorry for your kids. Just don't bring any of your friends around. It'll just be hard to be around you now. If your dad ever finds out, he'll never talk to you again. I mean, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said all those things to me. I, I would have had a response had I known that that's what she was going to say. But interestingly, um, that's the only only um, discussion we've had on the matter. Hmm. It was that one over the phone. I showed up at the cabin that next weekend, and it was as if nothing had ever taken place, nothing had ever been said. But those five things, they've stuck with me to this day. So have they stood? Have they? Have you not brought him around? Have you not discussed it with your mom or your dad? I mean... You know they love David. Hmm. He he. David, by the way, is he's he's probably the smartest person I've ever met. He's uh, he was the valedictorian of his high school. He was he graduated from MIT. He's got a degree in <laughs> in electrical engineering or software development. I mean, he's just smart, 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 and he's very loving and caring and nurturing. The grand the grandsons all love him. Um, and so my parents they they love him. Um, my kids have blossomed. They're they're amazing, amazing human beings, and um, I don't feel sorry for them at all. Um, my dad's accepting. None of those things that she said. Um, but interesting that it's been almost thirty years, and you remember those five things that were said. They were very, very painful. I they think were, that's an important thing for people to understand, especially listening. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you you can move forward. Don't get me wrong; you can still love, but sometimes those things you don't—they hurt so deep, you don't forget them. Yep. And they're always—it's always kind of there. If you don't, mm-hmm. I, we've had—I've had similar experiences, and it's it's rough. And I just think people need to realize that sometimes the things you say you can't always take back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we would just learn to sit. And pause before we speak. Man, how much hurt could be avoided? Mm-hmm. Because all of those five things were out of shock, fear, unexpectedness, right? Right. They turned out not to be true. And the hurt remains. Yeah, I've, I had a similar experience um, when I came out about uh, Brandy and I. My wife was pregnant before we were married. And I went and told my family, and the response was was similar. You know, like what wasn't wasn't really what's going to happen to my kids, but like this is not something my son would do. Um, what am I going to tell the church members? How do I? How am I supposed to deal with this? You know, and and I'm sitting there, this 24 year old kid, looking, going like, what are you, what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Like, I, 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 
I'm trying to figure this thing out, right? I'm sure it's a similar situation. I'm, mm-hmm. You're just trying to figure this thing out. I, I'm trying to navigate the most difficult moment of my life, and I'm coming to you, parent or best friend or spouse or whatever. I need you to just be with me for a second and have some empathy. And if for we that could, unconditional love unconditional, that you hear so much about, but right? I don't always feel no, when and, it comes from and those it was, people. It's not, I don't think it's malice. I don't think it's mm-hmm. meant to be mean, but that initial shock and awe response from people is so hurtful that if we could just take a step back, sit and respond with empathy and understanding and make it about the feeling rather than about the fear, things would change. Well, it's one of those, um, you know, look, going back to my Brene Brown, cause I love her. Um, she, quote her every she talks about how, you know, obviously she always talks about true belonging And she talks about how one of the hardest things is when you feel like you don't belong in your own family. And so, yeah, when you're coming out as gay or when you have trials in your life or anything and you feel like the one place you should feel safe Mm -hmm. is with your parents at home or with your siblings that in your home and you don't, that is so hurtful. It's so hard. So I, I just hope that a lot of people listening to this episode will realize like, you know, regardless of the situation, you need, you need to feel like you belong in your own family. Absolutely. No matter who you are, what you're going through. And that, if you can really show that unconditional love and not just say it, but show it goes a long way. It's like watching, you know, hearing about you with your story and your kids and your parents and how it's, how far it's come and how, you know, it's a great story. You know, it, it took a while, but you know, they're they're from a completely different generation, mm-hmm. and and I mean, these these are kids from the depression. Uh, my my parents, uh, they have come around, mm-hmm. but even even uh, just after I had met David, my mom called me to invite me to come down for Thanksgiving. This would probably have been ninety five at that point. So five years later, I said, "Well, I'm not going to come down without David." And, and she said, well, your, your dad doesn't want her. I said, well, then we're, we're not coming down. And uh, we, she called about five minutes later and said, I told your dad to go to hell. <laughs> and we want her. you guys to come down. And so that was kind of like, okay, we're on our journey. We're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, in, in 2008, when we went to uh, California to get married, when my brother told her that we were going to go down there and do that, she said, I wish you hadn't told me that. Like okay, where are we? Anyway, you know, yeah. now we're now we're talking almost twenty years later, and so, but she she's come around. She's very supportive. She'll even repost uh, um, memes that are pro gay, and so yeah, <laughs> she's fine. It's good. That's awesome, and I think that's really important. There's still a lot of things out there. Um, I just recently, you know, hearing. I don't want to say exactly what it is, but hearing people in higher positions talking mm-hmm. about how to treat gay children right. in your family and how to handle it and how to, you know, well, you don't, you can love them, but you don't have to accept them. What? And that to That's me. just horrible. Yes. What horrible like advice. Who, how, how do you love someone and don't accept, accept them? I don't feel like it goes hand in hand. And it's, mm-hmm. so I just, I really want I just want people to, to realize that that's, you don't feel loved that way. Mm-hmm. That's not how you love someone. 
So if you really want to love someone, you just, you don't, we don't, we're not all going to agree all the time and that's okay. But you still accept people and accept who they are as human beings, regardless of if you're the same person or you grew up thinking that, or I just feel like we've come a long way, but there's still some steps we need to take to make it more accepting and more loving. Yeah, lo- love and, uh, and worthiness have no prerequisites, mm-hmm. contrary to you know, a lot of what we hear is like, in order to be worthy, you need to meet these conditions. Well, mm-hmm. Our worthiness, whether or not we're worthy of being loved and worthy of belonging, doesn't have a prerequisite. You're born, you're worthy. That's it. Bar none. Uh, so as we're kind of like wrapping up here, I, I have a question that I, I, if you don't have the best answer for this, who cares? You don't represent a whole community. This is just you, right? But I'm curious because much of our audience is, this is going to be maybe one of the first conversations they've ever heard like this. Oh, really? I would say the majority of our audience because it's mostly conservative uh, not conservative, maybe traditional values, right? Okay. And we do have definitely some people who've, who are exposed we're, to this. We're in Utah, and so and it's, it's always a predominantly yeah. LDS background, right? Yeah, and and I think and I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have this conversation because I've been wanting, we've been wanting to do something to to not necessarily like more more just like open people's eyes and like help us with our hearts be open for a minute and just be accepting of something that maybe is outside of what I hear every day. So for you, as, as you think like, okay, there's some people out here who may still have prejudice, may still think a certain way, may have these really traditional values that may have children who are going to come out to them or grandchildren or are, are excluding people what would you say to those people? What advice do you have to people out there who just are being introduced to this and trying to figure out how to wrap their head around it? How, uh, say whatever you want. Big question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You can say whatever you want. For me, I think it's recognizing that sexual orientation is not a choice. You know, uh, I think a lot of people are thinking, well, you, ch- you chose this path, and it's like, that's not true. Uh, and, 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 and acknowledging that uh, it's not a choice and that uh, you can learn to love anyone, I think that's probably what I would have to say. That's great. That was a great question, by the way, and because I do think uh, that's going to come up. In most people's lives, there is going to be a situation that you need to deal with this, and you need to deal with it maybe better than what we have in the past. (laughs) So, okay, follow-up question. Sorry, I'm going to push you further. Okay. (laughs) like it. <laughs> so, because because I think I think yes, that's good. It's, it's not a choice. I think people are okay with that. But the advice that's being given to many is yes, it's not a choice. Maybe that's where you're programmed that way, but you can choose not to succumb to the feelings or temptations that you experience. <laughs> Do you really think that is um, a likely outcome? I mean, I know that there are people who feel like, well, okay, yeah, you're gay and that's okay, but you can't act on it. Yes. Well, that's just bullshit. Yes. You know, that's just, it's inc- incomprehensible. You just can't go down that path. Um, the, the, the church's November 15 policy, I don't know if we want to go down this path. You know, 
um, children of gay couples not being allowed to get baptized until they're 18, and then they have to disavow their gay parents' relationship in order to get baptized. That's what I suffer the children to come unto me. You know, it's like... That, was, just, that just, one was hard it's for just me. Not, um, it's just not going to work. So what do we... So what do we as people do to help an entire massive population of human beings understand that they too can be accepting? Mm. How do we go there? You know, again, I think it comes right back to um, if, if a gay individual is comfortable with coming out to those who, who purport to love them, Oh, you got to be careful because now you need to learn to love the person you think you might hate. You know, it's just like you need to be careful about that. Yeah, because you, you, by by hating or by not accepting, that may fall upon one of your children that you weren't accepting, and now it's your child exactly. or your grandchild. And, and I'm sure that's happening all the time. And that, that's hard, and it, it changes hearts when it's someone so close to you. Uh, it absolutely does because it's impossible to hate up close. Exactly. Mm. I once love that. you know someone, once you know, once you embrace someone and look in their eyes, it doesn't matter. You're, you're going to accept them once you really know somebody. And that's the thing that we do constantly is we dehumanize populations. We dehumanize categories of people, gay, um, transgender, well, even political Black. groups. You take a political group yes. and you're like, oh, oh. they're this. They, mm-hmm. You say awful things and dehumanize them. Yeah, and, yeah. When, and when we dehumanize entire groups of people, we don't have to get close to them. We can stay at a distance. And so if we get up close, we can begin to understand. Mm-hmm. And so I think moving forward for, for a lot of the people out there who are listening, if this was something that as you listened to, maybe there were a few things you heard and you're like, oh, I don't like that. Or, oh, wow, that rubs me the wrong way. Like... My question to you would be, why? Why does that rub you the wrong way? Does that rub you the wrong way because that's how you've always thought? Or does that rub you the wrong way because that's contrary to your core beliefs? Or does that rub you the wrong way because it's contrary to your values? That last one, I would greatly question. Because I have heard nothing that we've said here that would be contrary to the core values of many of us out there. Because core values are typically love, Acceptance, kindness, understanding, gratitude. Those are values. And that's the thing that binds human beings together, not these fragmented, mm-hmm. marginalized belief systems that are designed to separate. I was going to say, when you asked um, Chris about what do you say to people and they say kind of the just don't act upon it. Yeah. I remember... I was the lucky one who got to tell my family about my brother because we were super close. And um, I remember being in a room with my siblings who were all very religious. And I said, you know, this is how it is. And he's going to live this lifestyle. And um, they said, well, why, why can't you just not act on it? Why, why can't, why is this so hard? And I remember turning to my dad and I said, what would you do if someone told you tomorrow you can never have sex with a woman again and you, you're done? You can't do that ever again. And honestly, it was, 
it felt eye-opening to me because mm-hmm. it went, the room went silent right. and everyone thought. And the truth of it is like we all need to love and be loved. And that thought process of don't act upon what, who you are and your this natural, who every part of your being that doesn't, that's not right. That's, mm-hmm. and when everyone thought that I felt like it changed. That's Absolutely. when we all changed. Yeah. To me, it's just like, how can anyone possibly think that that's a, uh, a path that you can go down and, and think that that's okay for someone else? This is, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be able to have happiness, like we all know, like connection, love, understanding, that's what creates happiness. Mm-hmm. And without all that, it's, it's never going to work. So true. Thank you, Chris. Man. This has been an enlightening, wonderful. Oh, so awesome to meet you. you. Yes. Thank you. I mean, now it it just all makes even more sense why we love Annie Law. I know. (laughs) She really is incredible. She's amazing. She and Robbie are amazing. All of of my children, they're just really, really good people. I'm so fortunate to have kids that that turned out so well. Um, I agree with you. Every, the more I'm around her, I just. Have you met the other two? No. She's talked about them. Mm-hmm. But we've hung out with Robbie and Annie. We've only been close to them for about a year. And it's been so awesome to get to know them. So I'm so grateful that you came and let us get to know you. You too. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time, Chris. So there you have another fantastic wonderful illustrious amazing episode of finding strength i hope you were enlightened i hope your mind was opened and i hope you've been exposed to some new ideas new thoughts and it gets you thinking a little bit uh we would love to hear your feedback um if you want to reach out to me or bethany just go through finding strength um facebook or instagram and we would love to hear what you think of this episode what are your thoughts you know let's start a conversation that'd be really cool As well, if you guys wouldn't mind going on to um, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving a review, this helps us immensely. Put down five stars and tell us why you appreciate the podcast, what you like about it. If you leave that review, we would be immensely grateful. We've done pushes before for people to leave them. If you do leave a cool one and you want to screenshot it and send it to us, Maybe we'll send you a cool shout-out or surprise. I don't know. Either way, it's super helpful. We really, really appreciate it. And if you're in the Utah County area and you need a therapist, I'm your man. Let me know. I'd be happy to help you with whatever solutions you need finding, um, that need finding, because that's kind of what I do. Again, thanks, everybody, for always listening. Thank you to Brindy for running our social media and being my rock. Thank you to Kevin for hooking us up with the sponsorship and being the support up behind the scenes, the idea guy. Thank you, as always, to Bethany. Um, Couldn't ask for a better partner in this fun little journey that we're on. Hope you guys have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Take care.